Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege this week to welcome to Talk Nation Radio, Gail Davidson. She is a legal activist working for a better world through advocacy and education to enhance understanding of and compliance with international human rights and humanitarian law. She is the founder and executive director of Lawyers Rights Watch Canada, a volunteer-run committee of lawyers and other human rights defenders in special consultative status with the Economic and Social Council of the UN that promotes international human rights and the rule of law through advocacy, education, and legal research. Gail Davidson was the co-founder of Lawyers Against the War, an international committee of jurists and others formed to oppose war, advocate adherence to international humanitarian law, and promote accountability for violators. As part of Lawyers Against War advocacy, Gail brought torture charges against George W. Bush and pursued the right of a private person or group to prosecute torture suspects using universal jurisdiction through appeals courts in Canada and the UN Committee Against Torture. Gail Davidson, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you very much, David. Uh, It's great to have you on. Great to be back in touch with you. I know you will be speaking on a conference on law and war that World Beyond War is holding in Toronto in September, and we are very much looking forward to that, and people can sign up to attend at worldbeyondwar.org. So, Gail, what do you make of the U.S. President and the U.S. Senate making a torturer the head of the CIA rather than prosecuting her for her crimes? Well, this is a very um, uh, alarming development in my view, David, um, because it it sort of marks the failure of international and domestic laws against torture to actually prevent and punish torture. And it, it um, U.S. Senator Patrick Leahy called the recent vote to approve the appointment of Gina Haspel as CIA director as a referendum on torture. And sadly, I, I have to agree to him with him that by that vote, which was uh, 54 to 45 with, I believe, six Democrats voting for and some Democrats abstaining um, uh, for uh, the approval of Ms. Haspel, the U.S., um, Senate accepted the use of torture as something that should be awarded, re- rewarded um, instead of punished. And, and that's a very alarming cap on over 70 years of advocacy in the um, international community to ensure an end to states using torture to compel obedience and instill terror and, um, and impunity for torture perpetrators. And here we have the um, woman who was uh, in charge of a black um, prison in Thailand uh, that uh, uh, where al-Nashiri was um, terribly tortured, now the director of the CIA. So this is a very a very dark day. Many of us who would uh, prefer to abolish the CIA uh, would have preferred someone else be made director, and yet 
uh, can't see it as anything other than somewhat appropriate that a, that a secret, unaccountable, lawless institution that has been torturing and murdering for decades puts a torturer uh, in charge of it. Um, <laughs> well, that's a very interesting perspective, um, and uh, rather more hopeful than than my perspective. My perspective is that it's another another success by the United States to. Um, turn back uh, the to ignore the prohibitions on the on the use of torture by states and and that um, is, is is very significant. If I can just go over the the sort of back history a little bit in the last seventy years, because torture has been prohibited um, internationally by many many. Um, international instruments, you know, so in 1948, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the Declaration on the Rights and Duties of Man, which is the charter uh, um, document of the Organization of American States, both um, declared freedom from torture as a fundamental universal right that was enjoyed by everyone, and then that was followed quickly by the Geneva Conventions in 19. 49 and and just a plethora of other instruments in the UN and the Organization of American States, the African Union, the European Union, um, the Convention Against Torture was came into force in in uh, 1987 and and at the present time there's 163 states in the world that have actually ratified the Convention Against Torture. That means that they've not only signed it, but brought it into domestic law. Eight more that have signed it, only 26 states where no action has been taken. And there's actually no country in the world where where torture is um, allowed, torture by state officials is allowed under um, domestic legislation. So um, it's it's quite alarming, although I see the... I, I see what you're saying, the irony of her being appointed, but it, her appointment um, by that vote of 54 to 45 is is a very alarming development. And um, um, it sort of marks the, the success of the United States to override the international um, prohibitions against torture um, Around the world, in in various jurisdictions, where where uh, individuals and groups have tried to enforce the law. Well, I appreciate Gail Davidson. You're pointing out the the laws that ban yeah. torture because so many people in the United States have been intentionally confused uh, about whether torture is illegal and when torture became illegal, uh, despite the the ban on cruel and unusual punishment uh, in the U.S. Constitution from the beginning, uh, and all of these treaties from the 1940s through the 1980s, and and torture being made uh, a felony in the U.S code in two different sections in the 1990s before yes. before George W. Bush and Dick Cheney ever came to, to Washington, D.C., uh, people have been persuaded that somehow torture wasn't illegal, but it was it was made illegal either when Bush was president or Obama made it illegal somehow, or it's just sort of legal whenever it's done, but then it's 
illegal henceforth beginning the next day, uh, so it's sort of illegal, but you never prosecute it. Uh, how, how, how do we explain this to people, that, that torture is actually a crime and that that's not a new thing? Um, that's, a, that's a good question, because certainly until people understand that torture, and I want to keep saying torture by state officials, so I'm not, I'm not, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the state using um, torture against um, people that are detained in order to compel obedience and to inspire terror in others, you know, who other, other detainees and other people who know that they might be the victims of, of the use of torture. And um, the um, U.S., just as an example of the illegality of it, after the Second World War, the U.S. participated in the, the um, tribunals that convicted um, both people in um, the Nuremberg trials and in the Tokyo trials, convicted them of torture um, as an international crime and sentenced them to death, actually. And um, the, the U.S. was very prominently involved both in the Nuremberg um, tribunals and the Tokyo tribunals and um, certainly not only accepted at that time that torture was an international crime, but that it was an international crime that was amongst the gravest of crimes and had to be had to be um, appropriately punished. But you know, in the U.S., there's many laws that prohibit torture. Uh, uh, the U.S. is a, a party to the Convention Against Torture, the United Nations Convention Against Torture. It's a member of the Organization of American States and a party to the to the um, charter of that organization as well as the American Convention on Human Rights, both of which prohibit torture. Uh, it has the U.S. Torture Statute, the U.S. War Crimes Act, um, and so on in the U.S. And um, so there are no laws in the United States that make exceptions to the prohibitions that are part of U.S. law on torture. And I believe when President Obama said that they were going to look forward, the former President Obama said they were going to look forward rather than back um, and um, decline to prosecute any members of the George Bush administration for torture. He wasn't saying uh, the law doesn't allow prosecution. Um, he was saying that we're exercising the prosecutorial services in the United States. The Attorney General was exercising discretion not to prosecute um, for torture. Right. We're speaking with Gail Davidson, who is the director of Lawyers' Rights Watch Canada, uh, among other things. Uh, Gail, what what impact has it already had on the world, and will it have on the world, for the United States to be so publicly sanctioning torture as acceptable? What what influence does that have on on would be torturers everywhere? Well, it's had a great influence on um, the, 
I, I presume that it has had an influence on states' um, readiness to consider the use of torture as a means of, of controlling people. Um, it's certainly, but that that's a supposition that I'm making, a common sense supposition. But I can say that it's the the U.S. Um, support for torture has certainly blocked attempts to prosecute torture. So, for instance, you mentioned um, lawyers against the war bringing um, criminal proceedings in Canada against. Um, uh, George W. Bush for his role in um, torture in, in Abu Ghraib and um, Bagram and Guantanamo Bay. Those were the only three sites that were mentioned in that particular criminal information. And I can't say that the U.S. participated in um, blocking the, that prosecution because I don't have any knowledge of that. Um, in Germany, also in, in 2004, um, a number, three, four different organizations, including Lawyers Against the War, brought uh, criminal charges for torture against Donald Rumsfeld and 10 other named um, U.S. people. And that, um, the, the U.S. was quite open in their objection to that. And um, that was that pro- that prosecution was was um, said it was dismissed. The the same prosecution with better evidence was brought in Germany this time by 44 um, individuals and organizations around the world, and that was again um, dismissed as not. The first one was dismissed, saying that the U.S. was a better place to prosecute. The second one was dismissed, saying there was not sufficient connection with Germany. The principal group that took those applications then went to the United Nations, alleging interference by the U.S., um, and that both dismissals were politically motivated. Certainly the dismissal of the George Bush application in Canada was definitely politically rather than legally motivated, and on and on. So then in 2009, uh, there was two applications, two investigations in Spain having to do with um, torture uh, um, in Guantanamo Bay, um, and one of specifically of George Bush and Alberto Gonzalez and the torture memos, and the other one was an investigation, actually, of, of, of torture. So one was of the torture memos, the other one was of torture taking place in Guantanamo Bay, and both of those um, investigations were by Judge Balthasar Garzon, and, uh, who, a very famous um, um, judge passionately um, wanting to ensure that torture was properly prevented and punished around the world. And in 2010, WikiLeaks released uh, quite a large number of, of U.S. diplomatic cables that um, indicated that, that established U.S. behind-the-scenes interference to get rid of George Judge Garzon, which uh, he was suspended, and ensure that 
both of those cases were terminated. So those are just some examples where um, uh, political interference has been very successful in closing down prosecutions that were started by private individuals. And, of course, there's been a, a complete dearth of prosecutions started by states because states are not wanting to um, prosecute uh, powerful states, at least, for anything, but particularly not for torture. The political influence, yes, but a solid legal argument, no, right? I mean, they're... they're the universal jurisdiction still exists, the crimes still exist, when the torture involves death, there, as some of these tortures have, there clearly is no statute of limitations. Uh, and as the United States government continues to make itself a, a rogue state and an enemy of the world and tear up any agreement it's agreed to, in the, the, the Iran nuclear agreement being a prominent example, uh, it, does the possibility still remain of some government or group of governments or special tribunal finding the, the courage to, uh, to advance such prosecutions uh, in the future? I I think that there does. I'm not saying that there would be. Uh, I'm not speaking now particularly of a prosecution of the U.S. per se, but I think that um, there is a possibility of uh, the law reemerging. We've gone through a period where um, uh, states have demonstrated their ability to act in a lawless manner and to do so without any consequences whatsoever. And just a small example, there's many, many examples that I could use of that, but uh, a small example is the, the, the use of um, torture by the, the, uh, the, in, in uh, various sites around the world initiated by the Bush administration and the fact that they were able to say, well, look, all of these people that we arbitrarily designate as being um, a certain class of captive, then they're not entitled to the protection of either international law or domestic U.S. law, and we'll treat them however we like. And by saying that, the Bush administration was going back to the period of pre- um, uh, the the beginning of the 20th century, where states could do whatever they wanted with people within their own borders because their sovereignty entitled them um, to do so, and uh, people within their own borders included people that they captured. So that was a huge um, setback for for the law and. Um, what's happening now, and I don't know how this, none of us know how this is going to come out, but in November of 2017, the, the um, prosecutor, um, Fatou Bensouda, of the International Criminal Court, announced that she had conducted a preliminary examination and found that... Um, there was a reasonable basis to believe that war crimes and crimes against humanity were committed in Afghanistan um, after U.S.-led troops um, uh, 
came in in 2001. And so she's recommended that there be a full investigation, which what, what happens at the International Criminal Court is there's a preliminary investigation, and if that says there's a reasonable basis to believe a certain crime's been committed, then um, the prosecutor recommends to the pretrial chamber that there be a full investigation, and then at the end of that investigation, the um, investigative judges that are on that uh, conducting that investigation, say yes, now there will be a trial, or no, there won't be a trial because there isn't enough evidence. But <clears throat> that announcement uh, in November of the um, prosecutor has has sparked a lot of um, responses from around the world. I imagine it's it's sparked a lot of um, uh, responses from the U.S. Uh, and from the UK, but it's re- it's it certainly sparked a lot of uh, a lot of support in Canada. Um, um, a number of jurists have filed additional material with the um, prosecutor and with the pretrial chamber, saying uh, we recommend that that in that any investigation opened into the um, war crimes in Afghanistan being expanded to include an investigation of Canada's role. That's just an example. And those, um, the the supportive um, responses by uh, organizations, individuals, and scholars of that opening of that investigation are all reported. The -the (laughs) behind-the-scenes objections aren't reported. So we we don't as yet have any idea of what the pretrial chamber is going to do, but but that's uh, a positive development. Uh, indeed, an extremely positive development if it's serious, the, the idea of the International Criminal Court not being just for Africans, but for uh, criminals, even if they are not from Africa, even if they are from a, exactly. a, a, a powerful, <laughs> war-making, weapons-dealing country. Uh, it's, yes, we, yes. With uh, five minutes or so left, let me play a bit of devil's advocate. Uh, okay. Why... Why do we all focus so much on torture uh, to the neglect of of murder? I mean, the the overarching crime at Nuremberg and at Tokyo was war that made the atrocities within it uh, subsidiary crimes, as it were. Uh, I mean, we've seen... Uh, the George W. Bush administration replaced by the Barack Obama administration, which took its focus, which tortured, but took its focus to uh, to murder by missiles from robot airplanes, uh, which has been expanded upon, escalated by the Donald Trump White House, uh, with none of the sort of moral uh, outrage and objection that you see uh, around torture, and, and it's a it's it's a logical conundrum because war supporters uh, in the United States look at you and say, "Well, if murder is okay, 
why can't we torture people a little bit too? I don't, you know, it doesn't make sense to them. So, why, why this focus? That, that's such a wonderful question, and I'll, I'll give you um, in this small time I have a little bit of the answer. I, I think that people have concentrated on torture because torture, unlike many other international crimes and international offenses, the, the Convention Against Torture actually has an enforcement mechanism where the convention requires states that sign on to it to um, prosecute torture wherever it ha- in, their, in their courts, wherever the torture happens and whatever the nationality of the victims and the perpetrators, and that was a reversal of the law. That was a a big, big change in the law. Whereas the murder of people, um, uh, which, as you say, that should be the primary thing, um, that could always be muddied by saying, was this a a war situation? Because in um, war, unfortunately, People are allowed to kill each other, and within a war, the only murder that occurs um, uh, is when uh, uh, a person such as a, um, an unarmed, a person who's laid down their arms, or a person who's providing medical assistance is killed. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the Kellogg-Briand Pact banned war. The United yes. Nations Charter, with a couple of yes. very limited exceptions, not met by most or every current war, banned war. So the notion yes. that something is legal because it's part of a war runs yes. up against a problem that war is not legal, does it not? It's not legal now that the the... Yes, there was, but there, it was never, yes, the argument about whether a war of aggression was legal or illegal and what a war of aggression was as opposed to a war of defense, that was, those were very muddy waters. I think they're less muddy now that the international, um, the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court has finally um, brought aggression into the statute as a crime, and hopefully um, now people will be prosecuted for starting wars, but I think that's a very long way into the distant future, <laughs> legally. <laughs> With just a minute or so left, if, if any war is not so-called defensive, it would have to be going halfway around the world and bombing an impoverished, unarmed country and occupying it with a massive military, the likes of which the world's never seen before. I mean, that would have to be quintessentially non-defensive, wouldn't it? Well, I I don't think there's any defensive wars going on right now, in my um, legal opinion, that all of the wars that are going on right now are illegal. Yeah, so not very muddy, pretty clear, right? Yes, that's pretty clear. But on the other hand, the education that's available to people is uh, the education from the media, which basically still... Um, not just um, exonerates war, but exalts it. Yes. And But, you know, I mean, maybe that's changing, David. One of the other complaints that's been made to the International Criminal Court recently is that 
30 seconds. Um, uh, is a complaint against Donald Trump uh, for genocide because of his threats made to North Korea. So um, who knows what will come of that, but those kinds of things are happening now. That's very encouraging. I hope they advance. We will have to have you back on again, Gail Davidson. Uh, she will be speaking at uh, the World Beyond War conference in Toronto in September. Go to worldbeyondwar.org, uh, and we will have links and info up at talknationradio.org. Uh, Gail Davidson, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you very much, David. Bye-bye. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.